Pause I Am Radio with your host, Robert Brining, sharing stories from across the United States and around the world. To join the conversation, call 929-477-3572. That's 929-477-3572. Each week, we'll bring you our exclusive HIV scoop with Josh Robbins and your positive message from Rise Up to HIV and Kevin Maloney. Your weekly dose of hope. Pause I Am Radio. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Pause I Am Radio. I'm your host, Robert Brining, coming to you live from Philadelphia, sunny here on this Sunday. And today is my birthday, so happy birthday to me. I am celebrating with all you online. If you guys are interested in calling in during the show to speak with me or today's guest, you can reach us at 929-477-3572. Um, I had an amazing show last week, if you missed it. Um, or it was the week before, I had uh, Jamil on. He uh, spoke about being a runner and the importance of his um, athletics, is being a, an athlete in um and being HIV positive and how important it is to be involved in athletics and things of that nature. So um, if you missed that, you definitely want to go back and check out that show in our archives. We had some great shows this season. Uh, we did a recap, a little bit of Healthy Voices uh, two weeks ago, which I spoke about in Chicago, which is one of my favorite conferences. If you haven't been to it, you should definitely check it out. Um, it is a conference that is basically for all health advocates in the United States, uh, depending on uh, your health condition. Um, everybody, uh, you know, is represented there. Usually there's a, a lot of people with a lot of different health conditions there. And I met some amazing people. Uh, I got to hang out with Brady Dale. You all know Brady. He was on the show a few weeks ago. Um, and I got to meet some really amazing people. And I just want to, again, send a thank you out to Janssen Pharmaceuticals for allowing us to go and be a part of that amazing conference. It was life-changing, and um, you just got to check it out. You have to keep a, an, uh, an eye open for it. Healthy Voices, um, it's every uh, April, and it's in Chicago, and of course, I'll be promoting it more as it comes up closer to next year. Um, today's guest, Shane Bullock, will be joining us shortly. I see him on the line there. Um, Shane, who is 33 from Mountain View, Missouri, was diagnosed with HIV when he was 26 years old. Shane grew up in a physically, physically and emotionally abusive household that was not accepting of his sexuality when he came out as gay at 18. He was, open, he was the first openly gay person in his area, which is Mountain View, Missouri, where it was not the social norm. When Shane first found out he was positive, he thought his life was over, but little did Shane know that he was now given a reason to live. In the past few weeks, Shane accepted a position at the World AIDS Museum and Educational Center in Florida. In this role, he'll be going to schools throughout Broward County in South Florida, educating students about HIV and dispelling the many stigmas often associated with it. Now, let me tell you how I first ran in or came across Shane Bullock. Um, I was sitting on Facebook, and all of a sudden, you know, our friend Kevin Maloney from Rise Up to HIV always has something fresh going on, something new happening, um, whether it's his positive uh, messages that we have here on the show or it's the No Shame shirt or, or anything that, you know, Kevin touches <laughs> turns to gold and is purpose, 
is full of purpose. So I see this picture of this, this cute young guy in a no HIV, you know, no shame about being HIV positive T-shirt, and it says Shane, and, and the rise up to HIV is in the bottom corner, and then Shane's story is attached to it. And I go and I look at it, and I start reading it, and I'm intrigued and I'm inspired that this guy was able to turn his life around and, and you know, to make a positive into a positive, to say the least. And, um, you know, we've been basically in contact online back and forth about getting a show set up. He was nervous, you know, and then I had things come up, conferences, Mother's Day, you know, all things of that nature kind of persuaded us. But today is the day. So please help me welcome Shane Bullock to the show. Shane, how are you? I'm doing good. And how are you? Good, man. It's good to finally uh, talk to you again and, and to have you on the show. I'm excited. I am excited, too. It's been a long time planning, and happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> um, so so h- how's your day? <laughs> how's your Sunday down there in Florida? Uh, it's, it's going really good. I mean, it's a little cloudy. It's been raining a lot the past few days, but, you know, it's kind of cleared up for the moment, like... Hopefully it stays clear for a little bit longer and go out and enjoy the day a little bit. But other than that, like I'm blessed. I'm alive. I'm here. <clears throat> yeah, it's been real rainy and crappy here in Philly, too. I think it's like the whole East Coast. It was just a bunch of storms. Yeah, yeah I'm here. This one that's been going up and down. Yeah. But, you know, it's summer. It's Florida. I mean, what more can you expect? Right. So real quick, I just want to let people know if you guys want to uh, speak to us online, press the one button if you're on hold. The number to call in is 929-477-3572. I'll be taking calls all hour so or, you know, throughout the show. So just give us a call here if you want to speak to me or Shane. So, Shane, let's take it back. Let's start all the way from the beginning. What made you get tested? What made me get tested? Well, I had... uh... You know, like I, I, we talked about a little bit before, like I live in recovery and, um, you know, like I had moved, I moved from Missouri to, to Arizona and cause you know, I just, I had moved around a lot and I just knew I needed to change. And, you know, when I moved to Phoenix, I had a choice of who was in my life and, you know, and I made it five years clean and then came the day where I tried to help somebody and I ended up relapsing. And, uh, that relapse lasted one week. I slept with one individual, one individual who lied to me. And, uh, you know, and after I came down, like it just, my intuition kicked in and I realized I had done something wrong. And so, and I had texted the guy and I said, listen, when was the last time that you were actually tested? And, uh, he, he never responded. And it was then that I knew. And, but I think for just, you know, just like so many, like we go into that denial stage, you know, like this isn't happening. Like, and so I just, I did what I could to forget that it had happened and, the days went on and then turned into weeks. And then after it was about four months later and uh, I had a personal trainer at the time and I used to talk about it a lot and uh, my concerns and I was worried and, you know, and, uh, and then came the day where the the symptoms kicked in and I broke out into hives really bad. And I thought it was bad laundry detergent. (laughs) I was coming up with any excuse I could. And I went to the gym and, and uh, he was like, Shane, he was like, we're not going to work out today. He's like, we're going to go get tested right now. And I was just like, and I just started, kind of started crying because I knew, like I knew, like, and I just wasn't ready for it. And so we went and got that rapid test done. And, uh, you know, even before that time was up, he said, you're, you're starting to show signs. And, oh, I broke down. <laughs> I had a nervous breakdown. And they were like, are you okay? And I was like, yes, I'm fine. I'm fine. And. 
so yeah and then so at, at 20 at, at age 26 how educated were you about hiv and aids at that point well as any as educated as anybody thinks that they are like you know yeah. for the most part you know I, I any of us that go to school you know we're taught you know don't have gay sex you're gonna get hiv and get aids and you die like that's that's the, all I knew at the time, and all I know is that like I had spoken to, you know, some guys online and stuff like that, and you know, and they and then this that oh I can't be around you, I can't be near you, and you know, you're sick, and that that's all I knew, and I thought I was quote unquote educated. <clears throat> right. Yeah, I remember going to school and them kind of brushing over the whole HIV and kind of just use condoms, use condoms, don't have sex, don't have sex. It's kind of you know, I went to Catholic school. I don't know about you, but that's kind of the, as close as they got to talking about HIV or anything like that. Yeah, well, it wasn't a Catholic school, but I mean, like my my hometown had twelve hundred people in it, so like we had a very, you know, in the backwoods, it's very small, close-minded, you know, old data. So everybody knew every everybody knew everybody. Two stop signs, one stoplight through the whole town. Is that how it was? <laughs> exactly. Oh, we we had three stop signs, one stoplight. Like, <laughs> I mean, even That's like funny. six years, six seven years ago, they got like their first ATM or something like that, and it made front page of the newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking oh news, gosh. ATM. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. So, <clears throat> So if we go back a little bit further and you talk about, you know, uh, uh, being a young gay man at the age of 18 coming out and not being the social norm, um, was that at the point when you turned to maybe using drugs or, I mean, and for me, I know it was not being able to accept myself, not being able to be happy and be gay. It kind of made me want to fit in. And I tried to fit in with all the wrong people that it got me involved in, you know, the mess and the, the coke and things of that nature where, you know what I mean? Back then, you just wanted to fit in. Right. Oh, totally. Like, 100%. Like, I couldn't agree with that more. Like, um, you know, and for me, like, coming to terms with my sexuality was one of the hardest things that I ever had to do because, you know, first off, I didn't even know what gay was. Like, I had two channels growing up, and, you know, and there was no openly gay people in my town. Like, and all I knew was, is that I was, you know, I always just knew that I felt different. And, you know, it's funny because like my mother, um, she actually made my baby blanket before I was born. And I kid you not, it's got pink ribbons and then the Care Bear on the middle with a rainbow on it. <laughs> I mean, she knew before I did, like, and... You know, and I was always like a real loner and then like, you know, and then like at school, like I always got the fag and the queer thing and just, yeah. and I never understood yeah. why. And then like, you know, and then my dad asking me, you know, cause I had all my, all my friends were of course girls and, you know, and I remember him asking me once, like, you have all these girlfriends, but you're not dating any of them. It's like, no. And I, and I just remember thinking like, <laughs> why would you ask that? Like, that doesn't make sense to me. And, and then I remember the the day I the exact day that I remember everything about it. And I was in my bathroom and I was just looking in the mirror and I was like everything in my, my life and had was replaying. I was at the age of twelve at the time and uh, and I remember saying to myself for the first time, "I'm a faggot." Like I'm a faggot, and I remember saying that over and over and over and. 
And then I just remember getting really scared and, you know, and not knowing what that meant and, you know, what to expect. And, you know, my family was a bunch of drunks. And so that's, you know, at 12 is when the drinking started. And then, you know, just like you just said, you you looked for any outlet to, to fit in, like an escape from reality. And then, you know, by the time I was 13, you know, came weed and, you know, my mother, you know, I've come to believe that, you know, she she had a more barbaric approach to raising me. Um, she, there was many attempts at trying to quote unquote, toughen me up. And, you know, she would beat me and like, she would hold my little brother down saying, we're going to toughen you up. We're going to make you a man. And like, you know, and she would have him kick me. And so like the first time she kicked me out of my house, I was 12 and it was, it was my birthday and I came home and I from school and I was like, is there anything you want to say to me? And she said, yeah, I get the, get the hell out of this house. And like, that was the happy birthday that I got. And then it was just like, she would kick me out and I'd go stay with my grandma. And then like a few days later, she'd make me come back and then she kicked me out. And it was just this back and forth, back and forth. And she wouldn't let me stay with my grandma. And so <laughs> oddly enough, like, you know, my friends were dating these older guys who just happened to be like the meth cooks in town. And uh, I remember like just seeing them as bad boys and like, you know, wanting to fit in with them. And so and asking them, okay, I really want to try this. And I remember doing that first line of meth. And then it was then that like, you know, I was able to, you know, create a fake persona, a mask that enabled me to, you know, carry out those days. And it's so funny because, you know, being a small town, like everybody knew everyone's business. So it, they knew about what my home life was like. And they actually had an extra bedroom in their house. And uh, it, I remember they were like, dude, like, we know what you're going through at home. And if you want, like we have this extra room and you can move in with us and uh, just help take care of the house. And, you know, we'll take good care of you. So the meth cooks took me in. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I know. Like it's, like, it's so crazy. <laughs> I know, right? And uh, so, and by the time I was 16, like I'd started working at the the grocery store in town. And what's funny is, like, I used to steal the majority of the supplies to like make the mess, like the batteries and the suit of oh, gross, and all the matches <laughs> that you cut. The, yeah. So that's what started that. And um, so, but I ended up like. You know, like high school is hell. And I remember like say I remember going to the principal and saying that, listen, you either put me in alternative school or I quit. And he was like, I think we can do that. So like I literally finished my junior and senior year in like three months, just sitting there clicking away on the computer, just like <laughs> click, 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 click. And and then on my seventeenth birthday, they were like, You're done. And I was like, I'm done. I can walk out that door and leave and never come back. And they were like, Yep. And then it was like that week later that I moved out of that town and I've not been back since. <clears throat> so I, if, correct me if I'm wrong. At the age of 18 is when you came out as gay, but at 21, is that when you moved to Arizona? Well, see, okay. So like, yeah, I moved, I moved out of that town and like, and it, I'd moved to like Poplar Bluff, Missouri. And then I moved to Lamont and then Sedalia and then Sedalia is when I saw my first openly gay person. And by that time I was 18 and I worked with him and worked at Applebee's and like, he was a host. And I remember just, and I was in the back cooking with the guys and I remember just watching his interaction with everybody else and thinking, 
you know, he's fine. Like he's doing that, you know, there's no issues here. Like what's, and I remember just watching him for the longest time and then just thinking, and then there were, <laughs> and all these guys, there was this other girl that worked there and they were like, Oh dude, she's hot. She's hot. You need, and I thought, okay, what's happening? Like I was so confused and I thought, all right, I'm going to give this one shot. And so she was in love with me and I invited her over and like, you know, and then she was just like super aggressive and we started making out and like, she like pinned me up against the wall and put her hand on my pants. And then I was like, Oh, nope. <laughs> and I made her leave. And, uh, the next day I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I decided to come out of the closet and I drove back to Mountain View and, you know, I knew it was going to spread like wildfire. Like I knew that it was just going to like blow up. And so, and I, I wanted it, everybody to hear from my mouth because I knew the stories would go. And so like, I literally made it a point to drive to every one of my family members, you know, like in all of my friends and, <clears throat> you know, some of my aunts just kind of like, were, they were the ones that they were like, we, we've talked about it. We've kind of known for a long time. And so that they knew before I did. And then right. like, I went, went to my mother and she was just like, hey, that's what I fucking hate about you gay people. You got to run around and brag about it. And I was just like, don't tell my little brother. Like, I, I want to talk to him. And of course, she beat me to it. And, uh -huh. you know, months later, he ended up getting kicked out of school because I wasn't even in, in high school anymore at this point. And everybody in high school was talking about it. And, like, they kept saying stuff to my little brother. And so he threatened to kill one of them for talking bad about me. And it was just, like, this huge ordeal. Like, so, you know, I moved around Missouri, like, six, seven different times just trying to find myself. And then I met this guy at this restaurant that I was working at that I had lived in Phoenix. And he's like, yeah, you should just come down and, you know, get a job there. And I just thought about it. And, you know, I was almost by this time I was 21, actually, <clears throat> and uh, just knew that I needed a change. And, and I didn't know anybody, never been. And I said, all right. And I packed up two suitcases, jumped on a plane, landed, looked around and said, all right, this will do. <laughs> and then was really introduced to the gay scene and oh lord <laughs> in Arizona now yeah. there's a huge gay scene in there oh yeah very big gay scene very big Especially Phoenix scene. right yeah like Phoenix I think at the time was like population 3 million so I mean wow. that was like a huge so back in Missouri <laughs> yeah. in Missouri when you were working in the restaurant you saw the guy it was kind of like seeing a unicorn for the first time you know what I mean? Not seeing yeah, like this make-believe creature. <laughs> yeah, and then you yeah. go to then you go to go to Phoenix, and it's like everywhere. <laughs> right. So it had to be like a, then, like, I mean, like, like a, a lot of culture shock, but different for you to experience that go from nothing to being surrounded by it. Oh, it was a huge culture shock, and like I just, you know, and I it took me a long time to be able to like fit in it was just it was just a totally different scene for me like you know and I just didn't and it took me a long time and I was scared <laughs> they scared me for the longest time and uh so but then that's when like you know alcohol you know alcohol can make anybody fit in and <clears throat> we right. a bartender in the gay bars and uh that's when the partying really happened <clears throat> so yeah so so moving forward, you were you were diagnosed at 26. Where were you location-wise at 26? In in Phoenix. Okay, so you were in Phoenix. So after being there for five years, 
you know, you're diagnosed and you said your, your trainer was the guy that kind of took you there, your personal trainer and, you know, helped you through your, your breakdown after that. What was like the first thing that you did to, to find support after you were diagnosed? Cause you were, you were in Phoenix, but you were, you know what I mean? You were, I guess I, it was your home at the time, but it, it wasn't your hometown. No. So did you, were and, you uh, like, were there local ASOs around? Were there like support groups? Well, see, and that's just another thing is like, um, I mean, once again, just like for so many, like, you know, you find out you're positive and you, you're so alone. Like you don't know anybody else who's positive. And I didn't even know there was such thing as support groups. And like the place where I'd gotten tested, they didn't really like give me much information. Well, I can't say, really say that for sure because I don't really remember a whole lot of that afterwards because I just know that I was just, I couldn't stop crying and I was just like bawling and, you know, my friend had to walk me out. But you know, it was, I ended up self-medicating with alcohol and pills for a, a while. And, uh, and like, I, and I felt like I had to warn everyone, like, even though people like, you know, I just felt like I needed to like, you know, I need to pr prepare or uh, protect them. Like, I felt like, you know, I was a danger to everyone. And so then, of course, naturally, I start telling all the wrong people, like, uh, my coworkers who started start telling everybody else and it was just like and then I was just getting shunned left and right and which only caused me to like drink and take more pills and and then came the day when you know I I went to work and I worked a day shift at the bar that I was working at and I I went home and I remember barely remember thinking oh my god I made so much money today blah 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 and then I got home and then my boss called me and he's like, Shane, he's like, you walked home with the till. And I was like, what? And he was like, Shane, you took all the cash from the bar. And I was like, what are you talking about? And like, and he was like, Shane, and he really had to go. Over, and I didn't even remember being at work that day. And I was like, I'm going to have to call you back. And so like, I thought about it and I thought, okay, this isn't good. And so I, I called oh. him back and said, I got to take a leave. And so I actually flew back to Missouri um, to, and stayed with a cousin and I went and sat in the woods and I just sat in the woods by myself for like a good three weeks and just slowly, it just thought about it nonstop, nonstop. And, you know, I just, for the longest time kept thinking my life is over. Like, and I remember saying that to myself days over days, just I'm done. Like, you know, I've got nothing. And then came the day, like, and I was just sitting on the back porch and I don't, I don't really remember what happened, but my, my mindset completely flipped. And I was just like, no, like, no. And I just kept saying, no, <laughs> like, this is not going to be the end of me. I was like, F this, like, you know, this, I'm not going to let this win. And I like took a deep breath and I said, all right, like, you know, I can do this. And then I went back to Phoenix and, uh, and then I got myself in care and, uh, <clears throat> and I never really actually, and I just, I never really reached out to anybody. Like, you know, I went to my doctors and I started taking meds and I started taking Complera and I actually went undetectable in about three weeks. And my doctor nice. was just like, I'm blown away by that. She was like, that was really quick. And it was just and then I just started reaching out to everybody else that I could find that was paused. And I just started like, you know, let's hang out. Let's just, 
you know, the, the, the support groups were so institutionalized and they were just like, I kind of heard about some of them and talk and they just, the idea of it just made me really uncomfortable. So I just made my own little support group and we called us the happy hivers. <laughs> and, uh, so I saw met, that actually. That's awesome. What, um, at age 26, what year was that? Uh, 2011. 2011. Okay. So at what point did you move out of Phoenix? Well, like, oh, see, that's another long story. Because, so, now, like, because <laughs> now you're in Florida, you know what I mean? So, like, how did you get yourself to Florida? Well, <laughs> there's, we got two more states to go. Like, and, of course, you know, re, relapse is a huge part of my story. And, you know, like. Well, please share about uh, it. Yeah, well, I mean, just bouncing off what I had said a little bit before, like, you know, I was raised to believe that I was worthless, that I was a a piece of crap, that, you know, I was unworthy of love and being happy. And so, you know, and that's all we ever, like, really strive for in life, right? So, you know, I found out I was positive. I started, and, like, I just, I I knew to just give back and, you know, and I started getting us together as a, the happy hivers. And then I started volunteering for this youth organization in like this one in 10 was this uh, homeless GLBT youth organization that I started volunteering for. And uh, like these kids became my life. Like, you know, I started going there one time a week and then the next thing, you know, I'm there six days a week and like, you know, I would walk into this place and there would just be like this line of hugs. And like, I was surrounded by so much love that I didn't know what to do with it. And having finally accepted, you know, the HIV and then being surrounded with that, like, I remember walking down the sidewalk one day and I said to myself, I was like, I'm happy. And I said it like 20 times. I was like, holy crap, I'm happy. And for the first time in my life, I knew what that felt like. And it wasn't, but like, and this was almost like, I think it was almost like a year later after I'd been diagnosed um, that this happened. And, uh, you know, I, it wasn't a few days later that it was my one day off of the week and I woke up and the first thing that I said to myself is I want to get high. Like, you know, I had experienced, you know, Phoenix meth and it was great. And like, (laughs) <laughs> and so it literally, it literally took me a matter of like just a few hours of making an online account and having it delivered to my house. And, uh, you know, when that day came and I just, I got high and I just didn't stop getting high. I couldn't stop. And, uh, like in the youth organization that I was volunteering for, there was three employees there. Well, two employees and a volunteer. And cause like I said, that, that place, they became my family. Like, and, uh, they showed up at my house one day and they kidnapped me and, um, and then they took me to one of their houses and the three of them literally took eight hour shifts watching me. So I was never left alone. They took away my phone and they did that for a few days so that I could sober up and like, uh, it's actually really hard for me to talk about, like, um, but you know, and I just, the more love that they showed me, like the more that they cared, the more it pushed me away. And I ended up just saying, I I have to go. Like, you know, I I can't do this. And I left and I went right back out there and started using again until I, you know, I lost my house, lost the vehicle, lost all my jobs. 
and was staying with a friend of a friend and uh and then I just, you know, you reach that point of not being able to do it anymore. And so and I remember just like crying and crying. So I went back to Missouri to uh, stay with my cousin again. And uh, there was one party friend that I had made in that scene. And like the day that I left, he literally packed up his car and he just started driving. He didn't know where he was going or what he was doing. And um, and he ended up in Dallas, Texas. And while well, I went back to Missouri and I literally sat on my cousin's couch every day for three months. And she was like, Shane, she's like, my, my daughter's asking, why don't you move? Why aren't you doing anything? Like, and, and so my friend that moved to Dallas reached out and he was like, man, he's like, you should come down to Dallas. And he's like, let's start a life together here. We can make something of ourselves. I want to live the life that you had. And and I get on Grinder, <laughs> and like half a mile away is somebody that's visiting from Dallas. So of course it was meant to be. And I reached out, and he had driven there. And I was like, "Can I ride back with you?" And he was like, "Yeah." So I moved to Dallas, and I met up with my friend. And uh, the first day, the first hour that I was there, the first pl- place he took me was a dealer's house. We went to fix oh, his friend's sink. He's, yeah, we went to fix, fix his friend's sink. And as he's working on the sink, this guy comes walking out and sets a bong on the table. And I just looked at him and I said, are you kidding me right now? And he just kind of gave me this. And I said, well, fine, give me one hit. Because <laughs> you know that one hit is always a really good idea. And I took yeah. that one hit. And I, I did not lay down in a bed for the first 32 days that I was there. My, wow. It, it, and I, you know, I was in Dallas for a year and I'm, I mean, I could sit here and tell you stories and I'd take up this whole hour about what Dallas was like. Um, but I was homeless the entire time. Um, <clears throat> and I did things that I never thought I would ever do. Like, and, uh, I mean, it was crazy. And at one point I even like moved in with a gay preacher who I tried soliciting myself to, and, you know, I, and I, cause I wasn't taking my meds and everything was bad. And like, I was trying to get into care and like, they were trying to help me, but like the more people tried to help me, the more I just, you know, resisted. And so long story short, I ended up, you know, just checking myself into a halfway house. And then I went to treatment in LA. Um, it was an all gay treatment facility. And I only lasted two weeks before I walked out and, went back to Phoenix and immediately started using again. And, um, and then I was living in this place and then, you know, I was driving down because like in Missouri, you drive on dirt roads and you listen to music and, you know, it's a good time. And like, I was driving down this dirt, uh, this alleyway and it was like six thirty, seven o'clock in the morning. And, uh, and then I came out to this cul-de-sac and, uh, And I remember just looking, I was strung out on meth, heroin, you name it, I was on it. Like, I was just mixing anything and everything. And um, and what's funny is, like, during this time, like, talking to, like, I was always preaching at people about HIV and care. Even though I was strung out, I still always was concerned about how people were taking care of themselves. And, like, my old boss that had fired me, like... I anonymously had reached out to him because I saw that he was hiding a status and I was able to like talk him through it. It's kind of funny. It's weird how it worked out. But anyway, like I came out to this cul-de-sac and I look over and I see this phone number and I just, without hesitation, I just picked up my phone and I called that number 
And uh, it was a for rent sign on this house. And uh, this lady answers, and she was just like, you could tell she was super stressed out, and she had been living in L.A. and, you know, and everything else like that. And she was like, and I got this stupid house, and it's got so much work it needs to be done. And I was like, well, hey. I was like, I'm kind of crafty. I was like, maybe I can help you out. And she's like, that would be great. And I was like, yeah. She's like, well, I'm getting ready to go to church. She was like, can I call you afterwards? And I was like, totally. And I was like, I was like, but this, I was like, I have another random question for you. And I was like, what church are you going to? And she was like, oh, it's this little Catholic church, you know, out, out in Southeast Mesa. And I was like, oh, okay. I was like, okay, next r- random question. I was like, can I go with you? And she was just like, sure. And so I was like, okay. And like, she texted me the address and like, Anyway, it was like 30 minutes away, and so and I was going to go home and change my clothes because I was in sweatpants and just all dirty. And But that day in Phoenix, like, there was a uh, marathon going on, and they had, like, this four-block radius that was closed, and my apartment complex sat right in the middle of it, and, like, I couldn't get home. Because who am I kidding? If I would have gone home, I would have freshened up and getting high, and I would have never left. But yeah. – uh, you know, and so, and I, and I was just texting, I was like, I, I, I'm a mess, and I was like, I can't, and she was like, just come, she was like, Shane, just come, so I was like, okay, so I drove all the way out there, and I walk in, and of course, like, she's sitting in the very front row, that very first pew, and uh, <laughs> I go and sit down, and she just, like, puts her arm around me, and she just got this big smile on her face, and the sermon that day, I mean, it could not have been more on point. Every single thing that man said, and I was just like captivated. And then there at the end, like, you know, going back, you know, the concept of home means nothing to me. Like, you know, I didn't have the family and I got kicked out at such an early age. And so when I go back to Mountain View home, like I stay with friends and I, you know, I bounce around. I don't ever go quote unquote home. And like, but that preacher looked right at me and he just smiled and he said, you're home. And I just broke down bawling <laughs> and yeah. I just started crying. And that woman, all she did was just sit there and hugged me and she just wouldn't let go. And, uh, you know, and then we said our goodbyes and then it was just like a week later, like, Anyway, I just reached that point of exhaustion, so I, you know, manipulated my way into getting this, like, rental car and a bunch of drugs, and I hustled my way up California, and, like, I had this old bar regular that had moved to Portland, so, and I reached out, and I was like, and he was like, you should come move up here, and I said, okay, I'm on my way, <laughs> and <laughs> so I had this rental car, and I, it, it took me nine days to make it up California. And as soon as I crossed that Oregon border, I uh, threw all the drugs and everything I had out the window and uh, moved to Oregon. And I mean, it was, and it took me about a year to get settled because like the guy had lied and it was a big disaster. And so, and then the next place I moved into, like, you know, it was a scam and the guy took my money and he was actually getting evicted. And then I stayed with this guy that I went on a date with. And then, (laughs) I mean, it was just like this series of horrific events. And then I finally, you know, found this youth organization and then they hired me and I got to working with them. And that's where my life really came together. Like, this organization just saw who I was and, you know, and talked to me and really believed in me. And, you know, they had me do on-call work for them for like almost a year, but they, they put me through like nine million trainings. And I just, I was just so persistent. And, 
And uh, then they fired, finally hired me on full time, and I was the only employee there without a college degree. And they, and I was the only one that lived in recovery, and I was HIV positive. And so I was able to give that aspect back to the youth. And like with all those youth, that you know, you know, being homeless and stuff, like I used to be them, and uh, you know, and so and then after like a couple of years came that point once again where I become happy and content, and. Uh, like I woke up that one day and thought I want to get high and I was like oh my god and I turned on Breaking Bad and I know not watch that show and so I went to work and I and I told my coworker and I was like Jessica I was like I'm going to get high and she was like what I was like I can feel it in my bones like I was like I, it's going to happen and like every day for a week I reached out to everybody I called everybody and then came the day and then the universe just like and then I crashed and I remember looking at the mirror saying, you know what, this is not going to affect my job. This will not affect my job. Like, and that lasted a few months. And then came the time when I was going into work coming down and then came to the point where I was going in high and, you know, and, <clears throat> and then I ended up having to call in one day. Cause you know, when you're high on math, like you, you, look at the time and then what feels like five minutes is actually 20 hours and yeah. uh so and then, <laughs> and i remember saying saying okay i've got 13 hours so i gotta be at work and then the next thing i knew i had to be at work in 30 minutes and i was like oh my gosh and so i had this nervous breakdown and then i ended up calling my boss the next day and i said christina i was like i've relapsed on that and the first thing out of her mouth was what 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 you need from me she's like what can i do for you what are we going to do to fix this like she was just on it and she said do you need time off and i was like probably and so and i was like well i'm concerned with money and so she's like shane don't even worry about it this woman went as far as giving me three weeks paid time off she gave me invisible sick hours and vacation hours and was like you can make this up later She's like, just do what you got to do to take care of this. She has that much faith in a tweaker. <laughs> like, and so I was able to, like, kind of, you know, straighten up for a little bit. But then, you know, came the time you know, I had a dream and I woke up and just started using again. And, like, I couldn't stop. And then I had a breakdown at work. And my boss, she just, and I was just crying. And she just, like, she just hugged me. And she was like, Shane, I love you. Like, I want you to know how much I love you. Yeah. <laughs> and um, she was like, but this is affecting your job. She was like, so, and she said, go home, get some rest, and call me tomorrow. And, like, she should have fired me. She really should have. Like, <laughs> yeah. Day. And, uh, yeah, oh, totally. And uh, she called me, and she was like, listen, she's like, I've talked to the director of programming, and um, she was like, we don't want to lose you. She was like, you are a huge asset to this program, and the kids love you. She's like, so we're not going to fire you. She's like, but we're going to give you a leave of absence. And she's like, and take however long you need. She's like, but just do what you got to do. Like, And I was like, okay. I was like, well, what should I do? And she's like, Shane, you do what your heart tells you to do. And I was like, okay. I was like, I'll go to treatment. And so – you know, after so many years and after so much running, like it was then that I finally surrendered to the program. Like I, I went into treatment for myself and for the youth that I'd worked with. And I, you know, I gave up. I was just like, I can't do this. And I was able to advocate for myself and, 
you know, and I went to, I ended up doing 101 days in treatment and did the halfway thing, did EMDR therapy, which is a trauma-based therapy not many people know about. And like, and now I've, you know, almost got eight months clean and, you know, and things have, and then, and then that I went to treatment in Astoria, Oregon, and then flew to West Palm Beach uh, for EMDR therapy, because I'd learned about that as a trauma, you know, it fixes your trauma from past events. And so that's what brought me to Florida. And well, wait, wait, wait. Before, you go, before you go anywhere else, I want to take a quick break and play this week's HIV scoop with Josh Robbins and our positive message from Rise Up to HIV and Kevin Maloney. And then when we come back, we'll be back with Shane Bullock and we'll hear all about your uh, time in Florida. And if we do go over time, the show may end if you're listening live. But if you go in the archive, the show will continue and last longer just in case. So we'll be right back with Shane in about three minutes. Oh, it's not going to play for me, is it? Not going to play for me. Oh, well, this is what happened last week, too. My computer. I need to update my computer. Um, it's not playing my audio, so let's see if I can get it to play for me now. Okay, so it's not going to play, so we'll just skip right on that. We'll come right back to Shane. So, Shane, let's talk about Florida. You um, came across uh, one of my one of my uh, my brothers in the fight, Kevin Maloney, out on the street. So I want to talk about that moment when you met Kevin. <laughs> the moment that and Kevin knows this and we've talked about it like that man has changed my life like and all just from something so small by creating a shirt you know and I and I and, you know I didn't know about Kevin and I didn't know about Rise Up to HIV and I you know I just saw this shirt online and it said no shame about being HIV positive and I thought you know that's cute. Like, I think I'm just going to rock that out. <laughs> and, uh, and so I did. And then the second time that I'm wearing that shirt, you know, Kevin actually spots me and he comes running up to me. Oh my gosh. He's like, that's my shirt. He's like, I made that five years ago. Like, and I was like, are you serious? I was like, wow. And so, and then it was, then we, we just kind of like instantly bonded and we just, shared stories back and forth and we exchanged numbers and he's like, let's keep in touch. And I said, okay. And it was then that I learned about rise up to HIV. And then, you know, and then it was that same day that like the different, a different organization saw me wearing that shirt and came up to me and was talking to me. And he was like, you're really passionate about this. I said, yes. And, and that's when he told me about the, um, the World AIDS Museum and the curriculum that they had developed and they were looking for teachers to go into the schools to help teach this curriculum and asked me if I'd be interested in it. And I said, yes. And then they, I gave them my information and they passed it on. And that's how I got ended up doing that. Like, <clears throat> so, so tell people what the World AIDS Museum is because I never knew about this until I, I spoke to Kevin Maloney a few weeks ago. So tell, tell people what that is. Uh, actually, like, I mean, it's, it's not many people know about it. You know, uh, it is actually the one and only AIDS museum in the world. And um, it is, it's all the, de it's dedicated to, you know, everyone that's lost their lives. And it's, um, Stephen um, is actually the, the founder and he was doing all these different programs. And he, you know, he always did like a kind of like a timeline thing to, like educate people about you know what this was like back in the 80s and the progression that this disease has made throughout the years and he had all this stuff and somebody was like you know you need to like make like a little memorial type of thing and so he ended up talking to the right people and got this museum together and it's 
it and it's it's a timeline from like where this disease started you know the first person in just the progression that it's made and the impact that it's had in like there's it's a very 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 powerful place to be in the stories in the just the emotion alone in that building and it just represents you know <clears throat> everything that's happened and and the uh you know it's been around for almost four years now um you know you there's no cost to go there's just a suggested uh five dollar donation and um but through them you know they are the ones that you know are trying to you know we're going into the schools now and they want to start going into uh, treatment centers and detention centers and you know because hiv affects us all and so <clears throat> that's that's what, what part of florida is that in uh wilton manners Wilton Drive, so people can go and Wilton Drive, so people can go and check that out. Um, what else do you have coming up, Shane? Um, we're down to the last couple of minutes, so what else do you have coming up for uh, the rest of this year? The rest of the year, uh, let's see what's going on. Like we're we're doing this big social experiment um, it, with Kevin and I, rise up to HIV, and we're gonna like spread the U equals U. Um, we were, I was able to reach out to uh, ABC News um and explain to them what we were doing and what we got going on and so they have agreed to uh come check out what we're doing and they're actually going to go into the schools with us because they didn't really because broward county is number one in the country right now for new hiv infections and all between the ages of 13 and 24 you know this is affecting our youth and so they're going to go into the schools with us and record one of our teaching sessions so they can help spread the awareness and we're looking for more schools and so that we can you know go to and we're going to expand the program into dade county and then we're going to do palm beach county and so we're looking for more volunteers and teachers to help do all of this so yeah that's awesome that's awesome shane well thank you so much for sitting with me this this hour and sharing your story where can people find you on social media or if you have a, a blog or a website that people can find you well, right now, my, my Facebook page is Shane Levi Bullock, and that's where I've been doing a lot of my stuff. And then I've got my Instagram, which is Shaners, Shaners with a Z, uh, 31. And I'm trying to break out into Twitter, like, but that's when I'm, you know, I'm, I've never really been, I've never really been good with social media. I'm so old school, like, but uh, Kevin has been teaching me a lot and trying to get me more involved. So, <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Twitter's a good spot, and um, as I was looking for you on Twitter, trying to tag you and stuff, and I was like, oh, he must not be here. Um, but the good thing about Instagram is you can add your Facebook and Twitter and do one click. Uh, we used to call it one-click activism. You would check all the marks, click the button, and it would go to all three of your social networks at the same time. So it makes it really easy for you. Uh, nowadays, especially now that Twitter has extended their, uh, uh, the number of characters that you can put in a post, so that's always something to keep oh. in mind. You can join the Twitter and not use it as much. You know how they have, like, when you go to share, you can click Facebook or Twitter or whatever the other ones are that I don't use. <laughs> but, yeah, it's pretty simple <laughs> well, and easy. good to know. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited, man, to, to, to have, that you came on today, and I'm excited to meet you. I'm sure I'll be down in Florida at some point, or we'll cross paths at a conference. And, um, yeah, we'll definitely be working together. Oh, oh yeah, don't, don't forget – HIV is not a crime conference, June 3rd in Indiana. Are you going to be there for that one? Yeah. I know I'll be there. I will not be there. I just saw um, somebody post something on Facebook. I think Carrie Foote uh, posted something on Facebook about there still being scholarships. And I was going to apply, but I don't think I'll be able to get off of work in time for that. 
But next no, year, okay. I told her I'll definitely go. The next one, I will definitely go. And if you hear of any other conferences, let me know. Just send them my way. I'll be happy to apply. You owe me a link, don't you? <laughs> You're supposed I to do. send me a link. I do. <laughs> All right, Shane, well, enjoy the rest of your Sunday, and I will uh, see you online. All right. Sounds good. Thanks so much for everything that you do. All right, man. Thank you. Have a great day. All right. All right, you too. Bye-bye. There you go. And that's uh, Shane Bullock there joining us. Let's see if I can play the scoop for you guys one more time. Nope, not working. Outro's not working. Computer sucks. Time to get a new one. Thank you all for joining me today. And I hope you have a great weekend. Have a great night.